Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We have not met before. I get to be one of the pastors here at Life Changes. I'm married to an amazing lady called Fiona and we are proud parents of a little ginger who was running up and down a little bit and just surreal to think that I've got a child that's old enough to run up and down a church and make a noise. I was that guy who was critical of other people's kids. Now I'm that guy. I'm like, oh no, what has happened? It's amazing. Just God is very kind, but it's a huge privilege to be together today. Now I see Chris Lanus, who can hear me now as well, who had an operation on his ears, an incredible, uh, amazing miracle just of his hearing being restored. And we're just so excited, man. Good to have you back. Love you lots, man. Really, really cool. And uh, just if you are being out of the loop, we are in a series, and next weekend we, we, we bring this thing to close, and you don't want to miss next Sunday night with the soccer, but next week we, we bring this whole series together. But tonight I have the privilege to push us on. In this series, the context of it is we got so captivated by this scripture in Acts chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's a story, narrative where a whole bunch of people, 3,000 people respond to Christ dramatically. And without skipping a beat, the very next uh, segment of their story is it says a great community was formed, a community of generosity, vulnerability, a community that was like nothing ever seen before. This powerful community of truth and, and racial reconciliation and God doing amazing things with nobody being in need. But we're saying these two dramatic events of salvation coming and a community forming are linked by these three powerful words that we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves. We want to say that up front, that this is so exciting. Ever since Jesus prayed the prayer, our Father, we, we, it's declared for us that we cannot do this, this thing alone. Our Father. Not my Father, not your Father, but our Father together. And we get to call, call on this God together and walk together into the more that God has for us. So we're so excited in the series that we've been pushing this, this concept of being devoted to Christ and devoted to community in the same breath that the two things cannot be separate. That we believe that to be truly devoted to Jesus you have to be truly devoted to community as well. Well, that's what's been the thesis of the series. But this evening, I want to push us on a little bit. So why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to be reading scripture tonight. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're at. Before we read, let me tell you the reason why we stand is not ritual or mere rhetoric. Where we stand is to posture our hearts in faith. For us, the word of God is the highest authority in this church. We say it again and again, but because it's true, I'm going to ask you, could you lean in with faith this, morning, this evening with me? Could you lean in with faith in your heart? Because actually, the most powerful force in the universe from God's end is His Word. His Word never returns void. By His Word, the create, all creation leapt into being. Everything is in obedience to His Word. The most powerful source of life from God's end is His Word. From our end, it's faith. And when faith and His Word collide, the impossible happens. So if you lean in with faith, I can guarantee you, you will not leave here the same. Let's read scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25 together this evening. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold firm without swerving or drifting to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more so as you see the day approaching. Let's pray this evening. Father, I pray this evening with radical faith in my heart, would you move us forward into the things that you have for us. I pray every single one of us, God, would none of us leave here the same. God, I pray again and again, we don't want to just be stirred, we want to be changed. I thank you that you do that by your word. And Father, I do thank you that football is coming home. Go England. Amen. Amen. It's really good to be together. Why don't you take a seat? I heard the one Belgium fan, I thought I had to top you there with the England supporter here. Go England. Come on. It's very, very cool. No, come on. Get get this lady out of here, please. No, I'm joking. But it's really, really cool to be together. Let me give you some context of the scripture this evening. The book of Hebrews, we, we don't know. The Bible doesn't make clear who wrote this book. Some people, scholars will argue it was Paul. It's got some Pauline type of language in it. Some others will say Barnabas because it was very encouraging in its tone. We, we're not really too sure who wrote the book. But what we do know about this book is the context of it, why it was written, who it was written to. It was written to a whole bunch of uh, Jewish people who had become Christ followers and who had found their way into Rome, into the Roman Empire. And these, are ma- these, these people, this new group of robust Christ followers who are living away from Jerusalem, who are living in Rome, all of a sudden, a man named Nero comes in power. And this is early on into his reign. This is not yet as far bad as it is in 1 and 2 Peter, but early on in his reign, where, where Christianity is looked frowned upon, is looked down upon. It's not um, the peace, people getting persecuted, but not to the level where they will get persecuted to death under Nero, at the height of Nero, after Rome burnt down, Christianity was fair game, and everyone was, was, was tortured and abused in the most horrific sense under Nero. This is history 101. But what happens before that was, where this writer comes in to the, to the, the book of Hebrews, was these Jewish believers were living in Rome, but they were getting persecuted, but not to the f- place of death, but persecuted like where the people would, would confiscate their belongings. They would, they would frustrate them. They would stop them at police roadblocks and give them a hard time. They would, they would put them in prison for a little bit, and then, but then release them on, on trumped-up charges. You know, those sort of things. It was, it was frustrating, not to the point of bleeding or to death, but it was impeding their way of life. So much so that word got back to the writer who wrote this book, that actually the, the, the Hebrew, these Hebrew Christians, a lot of them were starting to drift back to the Judaism roots. Because in Rome, Judaism wasn't our Lord. You're allowed to go to the synagogue. But Christianity, this new sect that had popped up, was outlawed. You weren't allowed to do that. So for them, it was just easier if we, we can just keep, the, if we just drift this way back to Judaism. So the writer of Hebrews is writing this book and using everything in his armor. If you go read the context of from chapter 1 all the way up to where we got to now, he has used every single type of Jewish literature, Jewish hero, um, the, every tale that from the Torah and the Old Testament to convince the Jewish people that actually Jesus is worth it. Though it may be tough, though it may be tiring, though it may be frustrating, there'll be moments where you wake up going, if only they didn't know I was a Christ follower, if only I didn't have to live to this high standard, it will be easier just to drift back and no one would bother me. But this writer's writing and putting confidence in their hearts saying Jesus is worth it. So much so that actually the whole book can be summed up with that thing, that theme saying, Jesus is worth it. Don't drift. Don't drift. Take hold of your heart. Take hold of it. And, he said, and the concept of this evening that I want to put inside of you and I, no matter where you and I are sitting, is this concept. Resist the drift. Resist the drift. Maybe your life this evening, or your marriage, or your purpose, or your heart is just drifting. 
Maybe you're not full on gone. You haven't full on turned your back on Jesus or you haven't walked away from, from living the way God has called you to. But maybe you're just drifting. Your heart is not burning and beating for the purposes that God once had for you. I want to say tonight is for you. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and saying, well, uh, Gabe, I'm not drifting. This is not for me. Well, then I want to say this is definitely for you. Because if you're saying that, can I tell you, no marriage starts, no bad marriage just suddenly starts with collapsing one day. It always starts with a slow drift. No one wakes up in the morning saying, today I'm going to have an affair. That sounds like a great plan. It happens over time. Nobody wakes up saying, today I'm going to commit fraud. The drift happens. No one wakes up and saying, I'm going to pick up a new addiction today. No, it happens over time, over drifting. Even parents, you chat to parents. Parents will often say this, this, this statement often after years. They'll say, where have the years gone? Let me beg to tell you, no one, the years weren't racing by like this. It just each day seemed to happen and happen and happen. But left alone to own devices, time and emotions and our hearts just drift. And I want to call us that actually tonight's the night for you and I to pick up this call and to resist the drift. Everyone all right with that? Good to see you Sunday night. Why don't you turn to someone next to you and say, resist the drift. Come on. We have people who talk to each other. It's good. Resist the drift. Brilliant. This evening, three things from this text that I'd love to appeal to you as I've read it and as it's challenged me in the last few weeks for us to help us resist the drift. Number one, it says this. Come up behind me now. It says, number one, let us draw near to God. The writer says, let us draw near to God. You see, this is so profound and so simplistic. And it's, it's almost, I feel ashamed to say this is a big point. But here's the amazing thing. If the Hebrew writer found it important enough to tell them, let us draw near to God, he was understanding that their hearts were human and had the propensity to drift. Let me say this in this way. The human heart, left to its own devices, drifts always. From one illicit lover to another, the human heart is not made for faithfulness. Jeremiah said it in his way, he said, the human heart above all things is deceitful. Untethered, your heart drifts like a bowling ball. If you were me at a bowling alley, my bowling ball always goes to the left. It never stays on target. As much as I try, I don't know, I'm like, this ball, something's wrong with it. Just like the human heart, it always drifts. Let me give a, an illustration to this. When I was in grade seven, living in Zimbabwe, my prayer life was simple. God, may that girl like me. This is how I promise you, I was so convinced that this girl was going to become Mrs. Phillips. I wrote her name with Phillips next to it. Not just the girls do it, the guys did it as well. Or maybe just me. But my prayer life was, God, I will go to China for you. That was uh, Mongolia. If you just let this girl like me. I, I remember my prayer life. This was my, the limited, I was like, God, you, my desire and love with a grade seven girl, 13 years old. I was like, I, I got it. You know, I never thought I should have, probably have a conversation with her. I, but I prayed for it, you know. But I was like, God, please, if just this one thing you do for me, I'll serve you all my days. Fast forward the story. Ten years later, after I immigrated to South Africa and then returned to uh, Zimbabwe, I remember walking into a meeting, and I caught a glimpse of this girl ten years on. And I looked up to heaven and I said, thank God for unanswered prayers. (laughs) Probably a terrible story to tell in church. Hence, I did not name her, just in case she ever listens. But she has no clue who it was. I never spoke to her, so it's fine. <laughs> but here's the thing. The trivial nature of that story is our hearts drift. 
Yeah, I tell you, if you went and looked back at your prayer life, if you went and looked back at the desires of your heart over the last few years, if God gave you everything you wanted, everything you desired, you would be a wreck. You would be messed up. You would have drifted so far because God, God knows that it's, that's not the best for us. This is what God is going, that actually our hearts, the propensity of our heart is to go drift after trivial things. That's the very nature of our hearts. So much so that Jesus comes and the first things he says on the scene is this, come follow me. Because he wants young men and women who've got futures, who've got potential, who've got the call of God in their lives, not to let their hearts drift. He says, come follow me. And those words, let me tell you, are action orientated. He didn't come and say, he has a new belief system for you. Think about it, dream about it, get a team of guys together, start theorizing what it would look like if we follow Jesus. No, no, he said, come follow me, do it. Take hold of your heart, resist the drift to other things and draw near to me. Let me tell you, this is so exciting for me because Jesus is not looking for fans. The series, we've been pressing in on this, that he's not looking for fans to go, yay, Jesus, go for it. I'll even write you a check sometimes. Give it to the church. Give it to the guys who go do the ministry. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And not cheap Instagram followers. No, no, no. Followers who would press in and draw near to him. You see, here's a question though. If the writer has to say, draw near to God, let us draw near to God, there has to be an indication here. The, the, the presumption is that we are drawing near to other things. If the heart doesn't just stay in, in line, if the heart by nature drifts to things, that means we're drawing near to other things. My question to you this evening is, what are you drawing near to? Are you drawing near to guilt, to anxiety, to worry, to fear? You see, he says this because it's the status quo of our heart to drift. I said it earlier, but we, I know my own heart, drifts to illicit lovers time and time again, things that pull my heart away from the things God has for it. I best illustrate this by Letting you into, uh, my wife and I, we go to bed together at night. Don't worry, this is PG-13, relax. But as we get into bed, and my incredible wife, on, on my left, I sleep on the right. And uh, as I get into bed, and my wa- wife is beautiful, and she's smelling great, and she's a, she's a first-class cuddler. Let me just tell you, she's brilliant. This weather, uh, God's gift to me is Fiona. And I get into bed, and I'm just, you know, nestling in, and it's just wonderful. And can I tell you, this is the honest truth. And then I hear, ping. And the light from the side table comes on. Almost without thinking, I've got Fiona next to me, guys. I mean, look at me. Come on. I couldn't. It's a miracle that God's given me her. It's a miracle. I've got Fiona next to me. But by the default, is without even thinking, my hand goes like this to my phone. It doesn't go down well with my wife. Let me just tell you that. But I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only one. But just, it just shows that actually it's a silly illustration that actually what is going ping, Ping and calling your attention when God is calling you to things. When God has called you, draw near to me, but, but actually little lesser lights are popping up. And just by nature, oh, let me see who sent that message. Oh, let, let me, because our hearts drift. Even when we get God himself, God saying, you get me. And on Sundays, I'm like, wow. But on Monday, my heart is like, oh, anxiety. Draw near to anxiety. When he says, I'm your provider. Draw near to God. You see, this is the incredible thing. I, I, I want to say to you, if you want to know the indicator of your heart, are you drawing near to God or other things? What do you do when you mess up? What do you do when you fall short? What do you do when you blow it? When you mess up, where do you lean to? Do you lean straight away to God 
or would you lean to other things? Let me give you an illustration. A friend of mine the other day told me, I said to him, I surrounded the shop, I said, buddy, I haven't seen you at church for ages. I said, Gabe, you know what? I just messed up big time. I blew it. I really blew it. And he told me the story, and it was a mess up. And he told me, I've messed up, but don't worry. I'm sorting it out. And as soon as I sort it out, I'm coming back to church. And I said, buddy, let's just run that logic with anything else in the world. I'm really, really sick, but I'm going to medicate myself, and then I'll go see the doctor. Because, you know, God forbid the doctor sees a sick person. I'm in really bad legal trouble, but I'm going to try my hardest to fudge the numbers before I go and phone a, legal, a, a lawyer. It doesn't, no one operates in that, that, uh, that culture in the world. But I want to tell you, this is what we do here. For some reason, when, and I know too often that when I sin, when I fall short, and God's grace is beckoning me in, come to me. I go, God, I will come as soon as I've repented and worked out my stuff over here. Repentance is coming back to him. So what do you do when you mess up? They'll show you if you're drawing near to him or other things. You see, I tell the story, and I love it. I went to Namibia on a, on a trip a few years ago, and uh, we were at a, at a lunch gathering, and this was pre-children day. I was children day, so I, was, I had high opinions on how to parent, you know, as, as single guys do high opinions, and I told people about them. But um, what happened was, as I went to this lunch, there was a guy there, and he had two kids, a girl and a boy, and as they were in the other room, you know what would happen? The voices were playing, they were playing, and then somebody did something. One kid hit someone or pulled the hair of someone, and big screams went out. And you know, it's that awkward thing. It's the scream that just cuts, and all the, the lunchtime chatter dies down. Like, what's dad going to do? And I see, saw the dad lean back and say, hey, boy, come. The boy stomps in. Oh, not happy, not happy. And starts bl- blustering about, you know, what, what she did to me, dad. And he goes, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And he's red in the face. And the conversation continues, but I'm leaning in, you know? Because I need a preaching story. No, I'm joking. I'm leaning. Because <laughs> I'm interested. I'm like, what's that going to do? You know, because some parents does moment they get embarrassed. They lash out. They, something. You know. I'm like, what's, what's he going to do in this moment? You know, conversation starts up. And I'm like, yep. He says, boy, come here. On my lap. So I'm like, what? On my lap. So the boy's like, no, dad. No, dad. No. He said, no, boy, on my lap. So the boy gets in the lap. and not happy about this. And still muttering and muttering. And the dad's strong hand holds the boy's head here. And after a while, the boy's breathing's going. It starts to slow down, slow down. And after a while, the dad whispers in the ear and says, are you ready to go apologize to your sister now? And the boy says, yes, dad. So the boy jumped off the lap and saw him walk through. I heard apologies happen there. And I was just like, Yoda. It's remarkable. But here's my point is I'm not trying to give an illustration of parenting styles. I'm going to give you a little glimpse of the father's heart. The father does not discipline by giving time out. Let me tell you, too often in our culture, kids embarrassed us or kids is making noise or kids has irritated us. Go to your room away from us. I can't see you right now. The Heavenly Father does not do that. The Heavenly Father disciplines by saying, draw near to me. When you've messed up, when you've fallen short, when you're feeling guilty, He comes to you and He says, come follow me. Draw near to me. This is the grace of God, sir, ma'am. It's, this is discipline of God. God, let me tell you, he doesn't punish, but he disciplines those he loves. But he disciplines by drawing them near to himself. Because we are not changed anywhere else but by, in the presence of God. That's the question I want to ask you this evening. What are you drawing near to? Because this writer says, draw near to God. Point number two this evening. He says, let us draw near to God. Second, he says, let us hold firm without drifting. Now let me tell you, the writer says this. Why? Because not only do our hearts drift, our hopes drift. 
This is the human nature. Our hopes drift. And here's the thing, for sake of time, I want to ask you another question. I'm asking myself the same ones this week. Is what are you holding firm to? That's right, it says hold firm to hope without drifting. I want to say, what are you holding firm to? Are you holding firm to offense? When they, when, they, when they apologize, then I'll forgive them. Are you holding firm to unforgiveness, to man's opinion of you? Let me tell you, the human nature of the heart is that it is quick to drift to offense. It is quick. I just know my own heart. I can get offended, and honestly, gone in 60 seconds, a movie, I can do it in 10. I can tell you. Offense leaps up in the human heart like this. You have a swift look. They didn't return the phone call. They didn't greet me. They were rude to me. They dead to me. I know my heart. It's done this several times this week. I've had to catch my heart. Your heart, sir, ma'am, drifts to holding onto offense. It drifts there, and it doesn't drift there slowly. It goes there very quickly. But here's the understanding for you and I. If I had a rope, I would have bought it. But as I've said before, these are lover's hands, not rope hands. So I don't have a rope in my house. That's just an aside. Thank you, for, thank you for sticking with me. Love you too. If I had a rope, and I had a rope all the way down this side here, what happens is the, 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 there was a Christian author who once, once actually said, he said that offense, he called it the bait of Satan. The bait, offense is the bait of Satan. As if you're a fisherman, put a little thing, it just looks so small, it just looks so appetizing, it looks like it won't really affect anything, but he calls it the bait of Satan. That Satan has disqualified many, many people because of offense. What had happened is if we had a rope here going this way, too often many of us will come and offense will present itself on this side and we go, you know what? I th- you know, offense feels good sometimes because it's self-justification. It puts you on the moral high ground. It makes you right better than that person because they've let you down. Offense tastes good. So what we do is we pick up this side of the rope. We go, I'm going to hold on to this for a while. Here's the problem though. As I say, it's the bait of Satan. You do not know what is who is on the other side of that rope. Satan never shows the strength that's on the other side of the rope. If I had time now, I'd do an illustration where I would pick up this rope and i think, hey, you know, I've, I think I've got it. I can control it. It's not full-blown hate. I don't hate them. I'm not going to put a status on Facebook. I'm just offended a little bit. I'm going to hold on. I'm not running with it. I'm just holding it. What the enemy is doing on the other side is putting Mike on the other side. He's putting Warren Smith. He's putting all the big men, the big dollars at the other side there. And, and guess what? Before you know it, they're pulling you out of community. They're pulling you out of fellowship. They're pulling you out of intimacy with Christ. Just because I'm just holding on. Before you know it, you'll be pulled out of here because your heart drifts. But here's the other side of the coin that actually we get options. There's a rope this side, but I tell you, there's always a rope this side, and it's called hope. And we always get a choice. Do I going to hold on to offense, to bitterness, unforgiveness, to a man's opinion of me, or am I going to pick up hope? And the Bible tells us this hope is based on his faithfulness, that he is faithful. And because can I tell you who's on the other side of this rope is his faithfulness. So you say, all I want to do is get offended. All I want to do, and actually if I don't get offended, it feels like I'm letting them off the hook. But I'm going to hope. Can I tell you the great news of holding on to this hope is you'll be pulled into more of his story, more into his faithfulness, more of his glory than you could ever imagine just by holding on. Here's the thing though. Too many of us are straddling the lanes and we're trying to hold both. We're going to hold on to a bit of hope of Jesus, hold on to a bit of offense. Sir, ma'am, you cannot take the fullness of the hope that Jesus has until you let go. I, I want to say, I, I would pray that we'll be a people who say, actually, people would offend us. And we say, my hands are too full of hope to be offended. 
my hands are too full of holding on to hope to be offended and to be let down, to be bitter, to get broken. My hands are too full of hope. I'm being pulled into his faithfulness. Can we be that people who hold on to hope without drifting? This is the call that he says, let us. Let me tell you this. There was a movie back in the day called Hope Floats. Anyone see it? It was a terrible one. But anyway, thank you. Bless you. Hope floats. Let me tell you, theologically, hope doesn't float. Hope that floats is based on your circumstances. I'm up today. I'm going to hope that God is going to come through. Finances bottom out. I'm down. The man let me down. I can't believe it. Relationships are failing. I'm down. But then actually somebody comes and they're really good to me. I've got hope. I've got hoping in leadership again. But then they let me down. Hope doesn't float. The Bible tells us we have this hope which is an anchor for our souls. It goes beneath the surface. It goes through the circumstances. It goes through the waves that your situation faces. It's an anchor that's based on Him, not based on your circumstances. Hope doesn't float. Hope is an anchor for your soul. So much so, Peter says it's a living hope, and His name is Jesus Christ. Not wishful thinking, but hoping in the confidence of His character. Let us draw near to God. Secondly, let us hold firm without drifting. Final point this evening. You end by saying, let us spur one another on. I love this. He's saying this, the writer, because he knows that once our hearts and our hopes start drifting, our habits will follow quickly too. Your hearts drift, your hopes drift, your habits are gone out the window in seconds. You know, very quickly, it's the nature of the human heart to become me, me, me. Am I the only one? Very quickly, it becomes me, 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 my heart. Very quickly, becomes self-preservation. If you don't believe me, let's think about every Hollywood movie you've ever seen. You know what happens in the horror or the thriller. They get together and they go, guys, let's split up. You know what's happening. The blonde is about to die. You know it. You know that movie. You know death is about to happen. Ching, ching, ching. Whenever they say, let's split up, if you were an African-American, you'd shout at the screen going, no! Don't split up. But it seems like that's in the human heart. Whenever we feel like we are having a tough time, whenever it feels like we have been bashed, the words come out of our mouths very quickly. Whenever pressure comes, we say, I just need some me time. I just need to find myself. If you don't believe Scripture, believe Hollywood, it never works. It always leads to brokenness. So much so that man John Calvin said it this way. Let's bring it into order by bringing a Puritan preacher into this place. John Calvin says, whenever I look deep within myself, I become very, very sick. Let me tell you, sir, ma'am, go finding yourself, you'll just find depravity and brokenness. Because actually there's nothing good within the heart of man except Christ Jesus and what he has redeemed. So you don't need to go find yourself. You need to find him. And actually he says, the writer tells us, let us spur one another on. So he's saying, you do this together. Let me ask you, what voices are you allowing to dictate your future? Voices of social media? Uh, Maybe this is just a confession. It's just so easy for me to numb the the frustration or numb the pain or, or, or just, you know, get into a nothing moment and flick. Am I the only one? That's, that's, this is a mime for Instagram and Facebook. Sorry. And I've, I'm not, I'm not a, this is not a bash against social media, but I think too many of us, this is a, a society, we're medicating ourselves of true community by pseudo-community. I know what, where everyone's been on holiday, but they don't know the pain you've got in your heart. Sorry, just a thought. What are you allowing to dictate your future? Voice of social media, your bank balance, your failed relationships, your past, your shame. I tell you, this writer is telling us, let someone else's voice dictate your future. 
And he's saying Jesus, but he's also saying a Jesus community. Allow a Jesus people to shape your future. You see, he says it in this way. He ended the text by saying, encourage and meet together regularly. Why? Because our hearts and our habits drift from courage and it drifts from meeting together. This is humanity. This is Gabe Phillips 101. Whenever I get under pressure, the last thing I want to do is go and meet with people, other Christians. The last thing I want to do is stand up and have courage. I want to sit on the couch and flick highlights of the soccer. Same time, flick social media. You know, that's what I want to do. My heart wants to shrink. But this writer is saying, don't drift. Resist the drift. But you see, the amazing thing about this is Paul's writing to, or Barnabas, whoever's writing, is writing to this church there. He's not trying to build a big church in Rome. He's writing this because he's saying, guys, I know you're under persecution. I know you're under pressure there. But actually, this is not time to sing Kumbaya and bunker down. He's saying, actually, you're going out again. You're going back to the community. You're there in Rome to reach the Romans. You're there to preach the gospel. You're there to extend the kingdom. But it's hard. That's why you need to draw near to God. But it's tough. We're getting getting broken and offended. That's why I need to hold on to hope. But I can't do this alone. That's why I need to spur one another on. He's lifting them up, lifting their eyes from the small, from the me, me, me. You see, he's calling them to be a gospel community who calls each other to Christ. Can I tell you any other community that calls you to any other end is too small? You need a community around you who's going to call you to Christ. Be a part of the bowls club. Be a part of the library. Be a part of whatever group you're a part of. That's great. But if they are not calling you to Christ, you need to find a community that will come alongside that and call you to the high call of God. Because your life, sir and ma'am, needs to count for more than just self-preservation. It needs to. It has to for the sake of the kingdom. You see, I love how he lands this. As he says, the reason why we need to spur one another on, it's not nice to do. He says, spur one another on as the day of the Lord comes nearer. He's saying, Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back. The end is coming. And he's writing to them saying, so spur one another on because Jesus is coming back for his church. There's an urgency in this. This is not something that actually I'll get to it one day when I get everything organized. No, there's an urgency now. Sir, ma'am, let me appeal to you. Do not forsake the gathering of the saints. Sir, ma'am, encourage one another. Spur one another to love and good deeds. Let us spur one another on. I need you to do this for me. As a preacher, can I beg people here to encourage me, to love me, to not let me settle? I pray my future is bigger than it will be in 10 years' time because of the people in this room. And I pray that we'll be able to say the same for you. You see, this is a massive responsibility. See, the writer says he knows our tendency to drift, so he tells us. Don't you notice that? In the scripture, he says, let us draw near to God. It's not an individual call. Yes, each of us need to pick up the call. They devote themselves. But it's a communal call saying, let us together call each other to draw near to God. He then says, let us hold on to hope. Yeah, but it's my offense. No, sir, when you pick up offense, you're robbing the rest of us. So let us hold on to hope. But let us encourage one another. I tell you, I'm not that good at encouraging myself as much as you think of it. I look in the mirror, I tell you, you're looking good today, Gabe. You're looking good. But I need each other. We need each other in our lives to do this. So he says, let us. I tell you, if my budget could stretch, I would have bought all of us a whole bunch of lettuces. How cheesy is that? So you can just go, let us. and have. That's how my brain works. Honestly, in my Bible, I've written there, let us. So every time I pick up lettuce, I go, I flipping need community. Let us. But here's the thing. All jokes aside. 
Tonight, I'm not here to put implications alone on you, because these are three big implications. Let us draw near to God. Secondly, he says, let us hold on to hope. These are big calls. Let us spur one another on. The amazing thing that I've got to encourage you with tonight is those three let us's are preceded by two we have's. So I want to tell you what you have in your possession already that empowers those three things. If we look at the scripture behind me one last time, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near, let us hold firm, and let us consider. You see, there's two we haves that we have to know deep in our hearts, and this become, fuels everything else. All the other let us has flowed from this, is that these two things, basically, we have confidence in the sacrifice of Jesus. Secondly, we have confidence in a high priest named Jesus. I explained this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to tell you this deep in our hearts, that actually the Jewish system of the day had every once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, one man, one man, as Liam Neeson would say, one man, one man, the great high priest, stay focused, Gabe. The high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, would come, and he would alone would go into the Holy of Holies. He would bypass the holy place, the outer courts, the, the inner courts, pass the holy place into the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle that was set up where God's presence would dwell. And the rest of the people would wait outside, waiting for the, the high priest to present the sacrifice. The high priest would also go in with an unblemished lamb, a lamb that had been raised since birth for this job. That lamb was spotless, was perfect, was unblemished for one reason, to pay for the sins of the people. And once a year, there was a system put in place that the high priest would go in with the sacrifice. Why? Because he knew that at the end of a year, all the people's hearts would have drifted, all their hopes would have drifted, and all their habits would have drifted. So once a year, they would have a high priest who would go in with a sacrifice to bring them back in order. And once a year, the high priest alone would go in, but it's such a scary job, because actually if you went in there with an ounce, a little bit of sin on you, even a speck of sin, if you went in there, if that lamb was not perfectly holy, the presence of God was so holy that the high priest would die, drop down dead. And ain't nobody going in to fetch him. So what they do, they tie a rope around his leg with a little bell in it. So while the bell was going, he was okay. If the bell stopped, they dragged him out. True story. You see, none of these people had confidence. No one had confidence. The high priest didn't have confidence. The people didn't have confidence. They're all with bated breath. A big day. Is our mate going to come out alive? Is God going to forgive our sins for our drifting this year? But here's the amazing thing. We have a high priest we have a sacrifice named Jesus. And this is amazing. Jesus Christ came and he died a death on the cross as a sacrifice. The perfect lamb, scripture tells us, the unblemished lamb, he died for you and I. But he has the amazing, he didn't just die as the victim. He was, he was the high priest as the conqueror, the high priest presiding over the sacrifice. He came and he administered the sacrifice and he was our high priest. Scripture tells us that he still is our high priest. And this is the amazing thing. The high priest in the Jewish context, while they were ministering, on the Day of Atonement, they were not allowed to sit down. Because if they sat down, they were declaring that our job is done. But they knew that they would have to be there next year because the people's hearts will drift again. Their hopes will drift again. Their habits will drift again. I'll see you next year. So they would never sit down. 
But the amazing thing is we read in Scripture that when Jesus presided over that sacrifice, when Jesus died and said, it is finished, and he rose again, we were told that he took the seat and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And as he sat down, he declared to the Father, it is finished. And his dad said, it is finished indeed. And like a father playing the game of, of open gates at the school, he declared, open gates. One man made it through, Jesus Christ. And the rest of us, by default, get to run through and draw near with confidence. We get to hold on to hope with confidence. We get to encourage each other with confidence, not because of our ability, but because we have a sacrifice and we have a high priest who has made perfect those who are being made perfect. Can we stand to our feet this evening, please? This evening, if you've got courage in your heart and you're saying, Jesus, I want to take hold of my heart. I want to take hold of my hopes tonight. I want to take hold of my habits. Whatever, whichever one in your heart you're saying, they're drifting. If that's you tonight, you're saying, tonight I'm, I'm resisting the drift, not in my strength, but I'm going to draw near to God. I'm going to hold on to hope. I'm going to lean into community because of the high calling that Jesus has given me. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. I want to pray with faith the power of the Spirit to bring order and courage and faith into your hearts. Father, right now, I pray into every single heart here. The hearts that have gone over after illicit lovers, that have given themselves over to things that are lesser things, that have pulled them over to lesser treasures, and their hearts have gone away from you. God, tonight I thank you there is a returning. As sons and daughters say, I'm returning to you, not just in belief system, but I'm following you, Jesus. I thank you, Father. Tonight we take hold of our hearts and say they're yours. Can you say that? Say they're yours. My heart is yours, Jesus. Father, I pray for those people here whose hopes have been placed in other things, whose hopes have been placed in, in their boss, and their boss lets them down and they get offended. Their hopes have been placed in relationships and have been let down. Maybe their hopes have been placed in the economy, the government. Their hopes have been placed in, in other places except for you. I pray today they'll pick up hope and say, I'm holding on to hope because he is faithful. I thank you, Father God, those here whose habits have drifted. They've, they've said, actually, I, I want to pursue Jesus, but I'm just... I'm just going to drift on the side. I thank you, Father God, tonight. Sons and daughters are saying, I'm coming back into community. I need my brothers and sisters around me. I'm not going to stay on the sidelines. I'm not going to say, I'll sort my life out, then I'll get back. I thank you those steps of obedience will happen tonight as people would stay and connect and say, I need you. I thank you, Father God, this word tonight is empowered by the fact that we have a high priest. We have a sacrifice which is perfect. And that power it floods into our being right now. I pray every heart, every hope, every habit would be empowered right now by the blood of Jesus, would be empowered right now by the sacrifice of Jesus, would right now be empowered by the ministry of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father God, that because of this, we would resist the drift. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.